Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. The program is Seldom Said. It's the place where conversation matters. My name is Robert. A quite special guest today, Dr. Anatoly Alshuler. Anatoly is a scholar, a writer, a technician, an innovator. He's everything that that term Renaissance means. We welcome him to Seldom Said. Welcome, Anatoly. Thank you, Robert. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Anatoly, can you tell us a little bit about your personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place? Well, originally, let's put it that way, I came from Moscow, Russia. I spent half of my life there. I used to live, uh, actually, next door to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. And that was a special experience. So I felt almost American from the very early age. Back then, and that was, I came to America 32 years ago. So back then it was still Soviet Union. It was empire, evil empire by Reagan. But we felt very good about our life back then. My education was very um, satisfactory by all standards. Um, I graduated uh, my university, very elitarian, selective high school, um, accomplished doctorate degrees in theoretical physics, and did uh, important and interesting research work under supervision of the most, one of the most prominent Soviet scientists who became Nobel laureate academician Abrikosov. Another fun part of my background is that I actually served in the Soviet army. I was drafted there after graduating my university uh, and served uh, in Northern Caucasus, part of Chechnya, by the way, part of uh, my division, and they served in tanks, was stationed in Chechnya. I spent two years there as a commander of tank unit, three tanks, 12 soldiers. Not real war, but a lot of military exercise. Some of them are extremely close to war condition. And that was early 70s, so you can imagine how old I am now. (laughs) Then again, uh, at age 32, I applied for exit visa. Uh, I accomplished successful career back in Soviet Union, but I felt that I need to go abroad to do more and to be exposed and communicating with uh, more people, with freer minds, with bigger science. So I asked for exit, and they refused me for eight years, which brought me to uh, other interesting occupations in my wife, uh, life. I was a sculptor for four years. Uh, and they created some very commercial, rather large monumental sculpture, not as an author, but rather as a technician. Uh, my father was very famous Soviet sculptor, so he did the original part, and I was doing technical job for him and some other of his um, colleagues. Then I worked uh, in high school in the center of Moscow, which was also a very interesting experience. Um, so my life there was interesting. Then uh, in Thanksgiving in 87, we came to Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, we came to Boston because we wanted uh, our children, my wife and me, to obtain best education we could get. 
uh, which turned out to be a bumpy road because initially uh, our younger daughter went uh, in a very dilapidated town of Lynn in northern shore, north shore of Boston. A very bad town, uh, run down, uh, industry left it. So she was going into worst school you can imagine for three months. Uh, and after that, uh, things turned around and she went to the very best school America can offer. Uh, and our elder son, uh, very soon after our arrival, went into Syracuse University. He was studying architecture. And that was very uh, dazzling, very positive experience. Uh, back to my American background, I worked for United States National Labs for six or seven years. I wrote nine volumes of five or six books, not even having proper English back then. Uh, so I needed a lot of help and I got it. Uh, books, of course, of special content, mostly scientific and technical, not mostly entirely. So our audience would probably be very bored to read them. And then I did a lot of research uh, for DARPA, for Office of Naval Research, for other agencies, which was very interesting, pioneering, based on that science that I did back in Russia and later. And uh, somewhere in 96, I decided that it's time to go into industry because America was turning around away from military science and away of, away of high challenge, probably because of the demise of the Soviet Union. So I went into industry starting with KPMG, Pete Marwick. KPMG is the largest a global consulting company which does uh, assurance, tax preparation, auditing. At the time, it had a consulting division which was dealing with high technology. So I went to consulting. I was hired into uh, business intelligence unit which was beginning of artificial intelligence. Uh, certainly for KPMG. Uh, accountants and uh, tax partners don't mix very well with artificial intelligence, at least didn't back then. So we had to bring that um, science and technology, and we did. Now KPMG Advisory, which replaced consulting, is one of the leading authorities in commercial artificial intelligence. But I was at the beginning of that. Uh, later, I was working for Thomson Corporation, which later became Thomson Reuters. I was put in charge, technical director of very large, fifty million dollars project to build global financial system to sell, settle uh, trades, New York Stock Exchange, London Stock Exchange, others, and we did globally. We built very big system, and when 9/11 happened. That was the only system that continued operating even when everything else went down. My last corporate job was with uh, Tata Consultancy Services, which probably sounds a little strange, but it's actually the largest Indian-based company which does global technology consulting. <clears throat> there are 300,000 employees in the company, and it serves technology, high-tech, uh, computers, all that stuff globally everywhere. Uh, I was running capital markets practice there, and I had 900 very smart Indian people. Well, some non-Indian too, under my command. Uh, but then uh, I switched into my own business, and I was doing my own consulting with my own company for years now, again, mostly in financial services. And now when I am not young anymore, I was compelled by Robert and others <laughs> to do something smart in education since I feel strongly about our today's challenge in that domain. 
I would imagine I'm forced to ask this question, but I've encountered any number of persons in transit on trains who in conversation, when I discuss the guests I've had or the people I've written about, I never mention names, but I mention theoretical physics and an entire seat on the subway just looked at me as if I just had created life in a cushion. What essentially is, for the layperson out there in the audience, what is theoretical physics? <coughs> I was 12 years old. And at the time, I thought, and my family too, that I'm going to be an artist, fine artist following in steps of my father, who, as I said, was a sculptor. And I started studying fine arts at the art school. And I had my teachers, and everything went, went very nicely. And my friends and surrounding where I was growing, mostly artistic, was influencing my way. But I encountered a book, now, the book which was describing uh, physics and uh, astrophysics and how universe works in very simple terms, very understandable to mind of 12 years old. I was fascinated. The most fascinating thing to me back then was, I recall it, that when you... Uh, sent very powerful, very high frequency radiation, beyond gamma radiation, into space, into vacuum, suddenly matter and antimatter starts falling out of vacuum, out of nowhere, falling out particles and antiparticles. And when they annihilate, recombine, they create a lot of energy and light and radiation again. That fascinated me too degree that I decided that they want to be a physicist. And theoretical physics uh, is different, of course, because it gives uh, human mind incredible power. Uh, I can, I would like to give you an example. Uh, the most outstanding scientist of all ages uh, was Albert Einstein. We underestimate the man because very few people really understand what he accomplished. <laughs> and it illustrates the point, point of theoretical physics very nicely. Uh, <clears throat> Einstein was a boy, age 15, when he started thinking what happens when a person like him starts moving with the speed of light. Uh, it is a worse thought, because by then, and that was late 19th century, uh, light already was understood as a wave, not as a particle. So when we talk about waves like in water, in the air, sound or water waves, and light is a wave in some substance with thought to be substance, substance filling out the universe. So when we move very fast, faster than sound or faster than uh, water, special effects creates when we move with the speed of light, we basically stop seeing because we move with the light and the light has no way of getting ahead of us. And Einstein was fascinated. That needed to be reconciled because according to physics at the time, fundamentally Galileo principle, there's no way to physically uh, discover whether you're moving or not. If you move gradually, without acceleration. 
So when you move with the speed of light, you suddenly can't see anything. Einstein at 15 was fascinated. He spent 10 years. Uh, and he was, by the way, pretty lousy student. Uh, he spent 10 years thinking about it and discovering and using uh, works uh, researched by other physicists and mathematicians to reconcile that paradox. And that's, that's how his um, special theory of relativity came about. He was working as a clerk at Patent Bureau in Zurich, not very bright career, not very exciting, and he published his work, Special Theory of Relativity. And that surprised physicists around the world, and Max Planck, great German physicist, also theoretician, who at the time was the president of uh, German Imperial Academy of Sciences, came to Zurich to speak with him and hired him to go to Germany and work professionally in theoretical physics. So theoretical physics is a special science which gives a scientist ability to create the world out of his mind. It's different from experimental sciences because it does not require any special laboratories. All experiments uh, Einstein did was mental, and he, he called them that way. At the, on the other end, it's not mathematics, because it deals with the real world, not imaginary. So ability and power to understand and create real world out of your mind made theoretical physics special. It's fascinating. We are going to get to the point where we're talking, uh, Anatoly, about the new process you're developing for schools. When Einstein is mentioned, Einstein, Oppenheimer, all of them who worked on the Manhattan Project, for instance, we use the term genius. We use the term genius in this country for virtually everything that's different. You ask a mother about her child and she'll say, ingenious. Do you feel a school should produce persons who can be categorized as genius or simply persons who can think creatively? Difficult question, Robert. Uh, you cannot distinguish genius from person thinking creatively. Genius is probably just successful person thinking creatively. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, on the other hand, um, humanity, and that touches upon artificial intelligence. Human mind is different in a way that complexity of human brain gives it ability to create, to discover, to be a genius. Uh, artificial intelligence at least so far, cannot. It could be very sophisticated. It could learn better than humans. It could accomplish academic career in terms of learning and studying and do tests uh, better than any human. But we still don't know whether computers can make discoveries. Well, not so far. So in uh, education systems, we trying to build knowledge on the basis of intellectual abilities of a person. Knowledge itself is already discovered knowledge. It requires uh, effort. It requires process and optimization and routine and system, which is educational system. But it implies there is intellectual basis, ability to learn and understand and internalize the knowledge. 
So when we talk about um, American testing system, that testing goes against uh, education. Of course, it requires a mental ability to understand, internalize knowledge and produce feedback testing results in a robust manner. But it's knowledge already created by humans and it is more game than discovery process. American system of testing is very sophisticated, very practical, and it teaches people what they need to know in order to obtain education at the college, university, and profession, be successful professionally. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily help them to become geniuses. It's a different story. Would you say, Anatoly, that the procedures and the programs, projects you're developing teach one to think, whereas many educational systems, not only in the States but throughout the world, develop response as a reflex? Simply, if you say that, I will say this. And you're saying, if you say that, I will ask you why this was appropriate. Would you say that is a distinctive difference? Uh, in my opinion, educational system around the world mostly train on subject matter. But before knowledge comes in the form of uh, English, Russian, Chinese language, math or any science, they need to be brain. They needs to be uh, intellect that operates at uh, more fundamental levels. Uh, and you touched upon it, reflexes. Um, psychologic reactions and uh, psychometry of the brain so before we go to education, in my view, and what we're trying to develop, we address fundamental abilities and capabilities of human brain, and that is very uh, personal. It used to be that we tested and assessed that ability through IQ testing and all kind of psychometric um, evaluations which is not necessarily subject matter. Uh, of course, in IQ, for example, there is mathematical uh, element to it, but words knowledge. But at the same time, pattern recognition and other elements go more fundamental. So we, thi we think, in our project, we think that it's very important not simply to test IQ or whatever is related to it, psychology and brain capability, but also improve it. And it was initially, there was an opinion in human psychology that IQ cannot be improved. Well, it can. The funny thing about IQ is that people usually have IQ higher in their ch childhood. Uh, than in the mature years. And that's probably more methodological than uh, biological. If we take a case of Marilyn Vos Savant, and she is Guinness Book Champion of IQ. She is live. She works as a journalist with the Parade magazine. Her IQ uh, taken at, at 10 years old was 228. Uh, Einstein IQ was 160. Most of American presidents range between 124 to 168. Uh, but largely between 130 and 145. So uh, she is pretty distinguished. When she took it again uh, in more advanced age of 40, her IQ was 186. 
still very high. <clears throat> but <clears throat> working on that, uh, evolving and training uh, human abilities to think clearly uh, at basic levels, to focus, to uh, evolve Ill in uh, currently it considers to be seven dimensions of um, brain abilities in different functionalities. Those could be trained and improved, and we need that improvement even before or along with uh, acquiring knowledge in specific discipline. And that's why one distinguisher um, that we think goes to preparation that can produce better results, and then captures human mind and motivates it to think of discipline like a language, literature, math, and science, not as a boring thing, but something that really extends uh, brain intellectual abilities to move from uh, internal smartness <laughs> and being a quick wit and funny to a real world of real things where language, where literature, art, science, and math become essential functions of individuals. Your project described as many things, but especially deep mind learning and testing. For the purpose of argument, I'm a parent. My child is coming to you. I know what I expect from any school or teacher. I send my child to. What do you feel I should expect, and what will your school and your potential give to me? How will your program be innovative and different and well worthwhile for my child? Uh, two distinct uh, dimensions of your question I'd like to address. <clears throat> One is uh, logistics, uh, conventional side of our project educational project. We used, use, uh, as I said, we do base intellectual ability development, basically improving IQ, training it to support and maintain learning. Then, based on that, we implement uh, advanced placement curriculum uh, in order to first provide academic education which goes deep at the same time not over expand beyond what's necessary at this age to really successfully uh, go into college education, universities well prepared to cover their agenda, their curriculum. So we don't want to teach too much. We want to stay practical on the development of subject area which is already defined as important. Uh, and our process of uh, academic part of our education is, uh, let's say, one lecture weekly, which covers subject matter two academic hours talking about subject matter, either math or science or whatever it is, followed by hands-on seminar where all knowledge acquired is being trained in interactive practical exercise. But then, in order to keep that knowledge walking and in order to really move to uh, successful testing, testing we perceive as an exercise that not simply qualifies person to be recognized as outstanding or not very outstanding student and accepted or not accepted to the university, but rather as a practical part of our education. So most of our exercise done in seminar, also in homework, goes to uh, framework of advanced placement SAT testing bed, test bed. It is done 
hopefully in our design, it will be a daily or better say nightly exercise. But homework will be a group exercise. Let's say group five students going online, sitting at home, each of them, going online on a common platform under guidance of a tutor, walks one hour on homework, which is exercise, pushing them to internalize knowledge, to implement it in death testing bed to be successful. And that requires consistency. The other end of your question is deep mind. And that is very fascinating and interesting because it's new. A deep mind taken together is actually a trademark of a new company, relatively new, which is stationed in Cambridge, United Kingdom. It's part of Google. Google acquired it recently. But DeepMind is a company which does uh, artificial intelligence. It does it in special technology which is called deep neural networks, a very uh, compli complex uh, computer, simulated networks, and uh, they achieved remarkable results. People who run the company came from gaming environment. So they started doing computer games, but succeeded so remarkably that they developed uh, industrial application. The first thing they did, they created a program uh, to play chess. Sorry. Play chess was second. First was to play Go. Go is very complex Asian, mostly Chinese game, which considered to be more complex than chess. And uh, um, amount of combination in the game Go very well compared to the size of universe, if you will. Uh, there is a reigning world champion in Go, and it's very competitive sport. Uh, DeepMind created a program uh, which was run on a supercomputer. It played Go based on Go rules internalized by the system in the program form. It trained itself playing Go with itself for four hours. After that, it played with the human world champion in Go. It won after four hours of training. Uh, another second program was uh, Alpha Zero, which was a chess program, <coughs> which after several hours of self-training was able to mm, win a match against the most sophisticated computer chess program from IBM. That program from, from IBM uh, in turn was a world champion it won a championship match with a human champion in 2002. At the time, it was Garry Kasparov. He still is upset about it. Now, uh, DeepMind is moving very swiftly ahead. They're creating new architectures, new deep neural networks that deal with the things like human imagination and other elements of human mind. More relevant uh, to our discussion about testing today is uh, latest development done in uh, Seattle, actually, by a company which is called Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence, funded by Paul Allen. Uh, and it's developed Arista program, Arista, another deep neural network, which was trained and tested on SAT. So it demonstrated ability to test in SAT better than 85% of humans. So it understands language, it can answer SAT questions, and it performs better than most human students is going forward. 
our approach to DeepMind is not to compete with supercomputers. And we don't believe that uh, artificial intelligence has to replace humans. It rather has to be a partner of a human. It has uh, incredible power of memory. It has ultimate focus, ability. So it never forgets, it never loses focus, it knows everything it captured, but human mind is a lot more complex than any artificial neural net. And it will stay that way for a long time because we're talking about billions of times more complex. It might lose focus, it might forget anything, but ability to discover, create, generalize, envision, enlighten, that we have in our minds, all of us, genius or no genius, is not attainable by supercomputers and will not be anytime soon. We do capture and support education of our students with the help of computer platforms. So they record everything that was done in uh, testing. It basically uses responses from human students to their testing results, capturing them and uh, internalizing them in specific neural networks reflecting what given few, uh, student does. And it helps him, her, her or him to concentrate on uh, creative, generalizing, uh, important thing of understanding subject matter, helping with routine elements, and diagnosing his specific direction of a mind, whether he's visually inclined or uh, language or math or other abilities is forte and helps him or her to work on deficiencies by means of profiling, testing, exercise, and otherwise. So basically, deep mind is creating assistant in the form of neural net, which could be a partner, and hopefully will be, of a human mind. And we talk not general human mind, but given special, specific human mind. Are you, in a sense, painting a portrait of a human spirit, a child coming to you, and you portray them on a wall with all of the colors and the tapestries and the pastels and show how they're different, how they can exceed and excel? Are you doing something so intensely personal for each child that you receive? A part of it, indeed, uh, could be done in uh, <clears throat> uh, general intelligence testing. With all imperfections of IQ and other tests of that nature, uh, and we do some psychological testing, uh, we define uh, original profile of a human being. So psychology has very special direction, if you will, and people are different in that way. Uh, also, we can, uh, to a degree, uh, define intellectual abilities. We can improve them, uh, and we can help, to a degree, to improve what's lacking in specific person. On the other end, uh, people are unique, so it may not be necessary to change. A uh, person can have such incredible abilities in some certain direction of a mind that it should be preserved. So if someone is inclined as a fine artist, a musician, uh, we don't want to change Mozart to become a scientist. Likewise, Einstein was pretty lousy violinist, but we don't want him, we didn't want him to become great violinist instead of great physicist. What would you propose be done to the parent and the listening audiences? My child has never excelled. 
has never truly succeeded. He or she has simply gotten by. He seems to lack confidence in what he does. What do you do with that child who has been, and let us use the term, if we may, victimized by the system? How do you show him that what you have is different and is a curative factor? It will make him intellectually better. <clears throat> education, system of education uh, is moving excessively fast to teach. We want to bring knowledge to children. Uh, and we probably should move not that fast. We need children to become intellectually comfortable in their environment before we impose specific knowledge. So before learning arithmetics or science or even language maybe, although language is different matter, we need children to uh, be intellectually capable and comfortable in their own mind. And we have means to do that. Uh, then, of course, when there is a conflict with a, a child who is not completely fully formed or has deficiency in his her internal thinking, uh, and then education is imposed on that, there comes deficiency and suffering and inability to keep up. <clears throat> and again, uh, I will go to a funny example, I think. Uh, and I apologize for bringing Einstein back. He was a very lousy student in high school, in middle school even worse. Uh, he was studying at Zurich Polytech, and his uh, teacher, great mathematician Poincaré, who, by the way, was initial... Uh, you can say, inventor of special relativity. Uh, he said, after Einstein published his work and Poincaré read it, he said, I could never expect such a thing from that mediocre student. So uh, Einstein felt not very bright and not very prominent in his student years. And even when he graduated and worked in patent bureau, he didn't feel very good about himself. But he did create greatest discoveries. And it's now that his mind and his brain was evolving through his entire life, which is unique. Even physiologically, uh, he was thinking better throughout his ages, and he passed away at 76. Uh, but his brain became a subject of a museum uh, because it was unique. Evolving through all his life, it became very special in physical terms. Density of Einstein's brain was highest measured, because his neurons were developing through his, throughout his entire life. Very few humans have that ability. and that, So he became better and better. Same goes to children who feel that they cannot. They're just being uh, mistreated, mishandled, and they have ability and potential to be geniuses, not necessarily creating relativities the theories, or making huge discoveries, but creating their, their own world, making their, their own discoveries, it's just different approach. One of Einstein's biographers said that when he thought it was as if he were playing, his eyes would dance and he would smile to himself. Is DeepMind attempting to show youngsters how to play again when it comes to intellectual ability? 
That is interesting. In a way, <clears throat> uh, when uh, deep mind neural net teaches itself, trains itself, it um, basically asks a questions. It asks itself. It creates problems. It poses them to itself. It solves them. That's how itself trains. Uh, you brought up very interesting issue. When deep mind is capable of asking human, and it is, questions, that will be the game. And especially if that deep mind is yours, which is trained on uh, your, rhetorically speaking, unique uh, abilities, capabilities, knowledge. So you kind of in dialogue with your own deep mind. It could be that play that you're referring to. Play seems rather ephemeral. No boundaries, no borders, no ends, no beginnings. It would seem the ideal situation for a young mind trying to pursue scholarship. Are you trying to create, uh, as the Buddhists say, a field without fences? Well, a knowledge uh, is a discipline. It requires structure. It requires process, proof. Uh, it requires tangibility. It's not a fantasy. So indeed, but discovery is a process of uh, understanding uh, world as it exists. So if we really want to understand the real world, make real discoveries, it requires system, of course, pretty much like law, if it's a good <laughs> law. Uh, science requires uh, laws. So it's not without boundaries. What is without boundaries is movement between uh, sciences and math and uh, communications and media. So combination of those elements in human, uh, not even education, in human mind creates synergy that brings uh, individual world. And that way it becomes a personal thing when human obtains his, hers, individual world of all these elements. And that goes beyond job, beyond occupation. It is personal ecosystem. When a student leaves your school after that perennial lifetime of pursuing thought and thinking, they're made in their own image. They become their own progenitor, their own dialect, their own language. They've made their future, and now all they have to do is simply apply it. Uh, yes, but it's natural and organic. They grow into it. It's not like they accumulated something that suddenly they need to apply. It's with them. They basically become Renaissance people. So they move naturally uh, from education to practical world. And probably the practical world starts very early, before they get formal job. Uh, because what they do uh, in school, uh, at college, if they think creatively, if they do something uniquely interesting, it is real. It could reside in the real world, and whether it's business, as we call it, or something that is useful to other people, which communicates their personality to others, uh, yes, it becomes the unique uh, influence on the world. Uh, 
We can say that in our current age of social networking, those personalities mix and penetrate each other in communication and common platform, if you will. Anatoly, you've often used that term renaissance. There seems to be a spiritual quality attached to something like that. Montesquieu called it l'esprit de loi, the spirit of the laws. You're literally teaching the spirit of intellect, it would seem, of education, of mental growth. Is there an emotional, spiritual nature to all of this, an acceptance of what one doesn't know and what wishes to know, and you're giving us the tools? Uh, No, Robert. We cannot say that we're giving the tools. Only God can do that. But we're getting there. We think that, as I said, deep mind is not human yet. It can help human. Human can evolve better, faster, a lot more productively with the help of deep mind. Uh, but deep mind will not uh, be equal for a long time yet to it. So no matrix here. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, yes, we think if we could address, and I said before, deep mind company now does in the imagination. They think they can do it. Well, we don't know yet. But can they do emotions? We'll find out. It might be just different neural net architecture they needed, but we don't know yet. Still, what's important is that we are trying to move outside of the boundaries. And when we make references to Renaissance, what, why we talk about it so often? Uh, because it was a mix of art and science. Uh, and uh, freedom and emotions. So those great men and ladies of Renaissance were special in that way. Uh, They were free, they were emotional, and they mixed uh, science and art like Leonardo did. And by the way, he was not trained scientist. And uh, he was self-educated artist, but he did pretty well. For those who in the listening audience are fascinated by all of this and what you've discussed, as I am sure many are, as I am, how can someone out there contact you, reach out to you, find out about the program, the school? How can they be part of this project? Robert, we are starting this thing. We are at the very beginning. So what we're looking to accomplish uh, quickly. We have small group of enthusiasts who are excited about this thing. We'd like to engage more young people, uh, college age, maybe even high school to uh, help us as a, uh, tutors, as supervisors, as a, a partners of those young minds that will go into this new, pa- uh, new path of development. And we, of course, looking for a small group of students because uh, progress in that project is possible only in very small groups. Five people, the largest probably. Otherwise, it's a crowd. We lose personality. Um, So it's the beginning. Uh, We are non-profit organization, so we're not uh, into making profitable business out of it, at least not yet. Uh, 
And um, the way to connect with us is to call uh, principal of that non-profit organization, Marina, and her uh, business number is 516-603-9797. What should one interested parent feel they'll see and experience upon entering your school? What will those first minutes involve? Our first and initial conversations will be about uh, personality, about uh, individual intelligence. We'll be uh, doing exercises in psychological profiling, devising what given person uh, wants to do, what the specific vector of his or her personality. Uh, and that is some kind of psychological testing. They don't evaluate quality of your mind. They evaluate direction. Uh, the other thing will start with exercising uh, ability, capability of a brain to do uh, fundamental tasks before education comes in. So it's more or less IQ training. But it will be going along with the academic program in math, science, later maybe uh, communications and humanities, which will address educational components. So eventually, hopefully soon, we'll be doing those mm, educational things in parallel. Evolving your mind, it it never stops. You need to continue that. Uh, Evolving uh, math and um, science knowledge, evolving communications in terms of language and other means, media as well, and um, understanding of humanities eventually, as I said. So we really develop... uh, Renaissance people, but it has to be practical because naturally uh, children, students, and their parents want practical results. So in their minds, practical result, of course, is a good mind of their children, but also needs to be measured by their success. We implement a lot of testing, SAT measures, Uh, advanced placement uh, for the sake of academic program. Advanced placement is good in a way that there are almost three dozen of advanced placement tests in all domains of knowledge, inclusive of fine arts and music. So if your children decide to take AP test in science, math, language, music, fine art, literature, uh, he or she, after succeeding there, will be pretty well-rounded. Not only that, the accomplishments will be recognized by uh, universities, colleges, national merit, scholarship, advanced placement, scholarship, and otherwise, because those things are automatic. When the students pass the test, perform well, it's automatically percolate into national system. They get noticed, recognized and accepted for higher education. Uh, Human mind is valuable and country understands it. We're unfortunately within 45 seconds of the end of a marvelous program. We've said this before, but a program that goes by so quickly is a program that has said a great deal. Perhaps, Anatoly, at a later occasion you can return and share any additional materials or developments that have occurred. Robert, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'd love to come back. Uh, even more, I'd love to tell you that we're making progress. Indeed. Well, I don't know yet. <laughs> we should both be patient with life itself. Спасибо большое. Спасибо всем. 
This is uh, Seldom Said. My name is Robert. Be with us again next time.